0: Thank you, Esther. We do worship a wonderful and merciful savior. Well, good morning, all. Good morning. Thank you. <laughs> you may speak to me while I'm up here. That's okay. Um, I want to welcome you in the name of the Lord this morning. As I've mentioned, my name is Samuel Echevarria, and uh, some of you have seen me here before. And once again, uh, I have the uh, humble honor and privilege and weightiness of preaching to you God's word this morning. Um, Pastor Samuel again as I said has traveled to foreign lands Outside of this great state We pray for him that he would return Uh, But he is having a blessed time In Ohio with family Preaching God's word Because that's what he's called to do And we praise God for that Um, You know I was talking to Samuel last week Many of you were here during the sermon Last week a wonderful sermon uh, On the, uh, the Sermon preached by Jonathan Edwards The great revivalist Sinners in the hands of an angry God and I told Samuel that it's possible, just possible, that some of us didn't understand everything that was presented. Uh, and, and, and he listened, and, and, and being the man of God that he is, he says, praise God that you told me that. Would you please preach that message again? <laughs> Before you preach your own. So let us begin. Today, if you may have noticed, the title of my sermon is Our Hope Diamond, Our Hope Diamond. And I hope to use this picture of this wonderful jewel. I hope and pray that this picture can help us understand what is truly precious in our lives, what is truly valuable in our lives, and how we should live as Christians, how we should identify with Christ. Let us read God's Word together this morning. Um, we will be reading from First Peter, letter of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. This is found on page 1049 in your Red Pew Bibles. If you would open up to God's Word and let us hear what the Lord has to say for us this morning. First Peter, chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatea. Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade this inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time in all this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This has been the word of the Lord for us today. Let us pray. Lord, we come to you ready to obey. We praise you, Lord, that your word is among us. We praise you, Lord, that your Holy Spirit is among us. And we pray this morning, Lord, that your words would come clear, crystal, and be in our hearts, embedded in our bones. Lord, and I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned today, the title of my sermon is Our Hope Diamond. But I do have a special treat for all the children here, for all the children, or those of you who are young at heart, you decide. in my message there are some hints to a question i'm going to ask so so children if you're if you're a child you define that Um, i'm going to give you some hints and the question that i'm going to ask at the end of the sermon to see if you've paid attention is what am i talking about when i say our hope diamond what am i talking about when i say our hope diamond i'm going to give you some hints along the way and these hints are going to come in six big words, six big themes, six big ideas. And I'm going to hint you you on those children when we get to them. So I want you to get ready. Pull out your pen or pencil and paper. You're going to have to write down these words, and they're going to be the answer to my question. Does that sound good? It's exciting. I'm excited. (laughs) So what is the Hope Diamond? We'd be so kind to put up a picture of the Hope Diamond. Many of you have heard of it. Those of you who haven't, uh, you know, this is a picture of it. Um, It seems pretty. Uh, Mother's Day is coming up. (laughs) The Hope Diamond is a large 45-carat deep blue diamond now housed in the Smithsonian Natural History Museum in Washington, D.C. It is named after one of its many owners, Henry Philip Hope. And this is is the way it looks now if you go to the museum in Washington, D.C., Thank you, Nancy. It has been described as the most famous diamond in the world and is said to be the second most visited artwork in the world after the Mona Lisa. It is currently estimated to be worth $250 million. Kind of cool. Would you like to go see it now? Should we end now and go to DC? No, we're not going to do that. But it does, in my mind, bring a couple of questions. What makes something famous? What makes something so beautiful that you want to go see it? You want to visit it? You want to debate, is it really the most beautiful thing in the world? Is it the second most beautiful thing in the world? You want to discuss it. I'm sure many families, after they go to see the Hope Diamond, they talk about it and say, wow, what did you like the most? These questions came up in my mind and my heart because I, I, I wanted to ask them of us. What makes us Christians? brilliant shining that people want to come visit us and that's the message of our uh, of today what makes us like the hope diamond and i'm going to begin and i'm going to go through six points six points that i think today's text points us to this reality and my first point this morning is we as christians should be conspicuous the key word children is conspicuous Okay, And I know, children, if you do a good job, your parents will give you a special treat at lunch. I just know it. I just know it. So the first word is conspicuous. We as Christians should be conspicuous. I like definitions. Most of you know, I'm a professor uh, at, at uh, ACC here. So I always start, when I talk, I say, well, let's get our definitions straight. What does conspicuous mean? It's a big word. It's got lots of letters. Uh, conspicuous. easy to notice obvious, attracting attention, as by being unusual or remarkable, noticeable. Well, what is noticeable about today's letter? What is noticeable about today's verse? Let's talk about 1 Peter. This letter was written, as far as we can tell, by Peter the Apostle, the head of the Jerusalem church, the first pastor. And he's sending a letter to a group of people, Christians, in what is now Turkey, Asia Minor. And he names them by the cities that they are in. And as far as we can determine, it's quite possible that these Christians were originally from Rome, and during one of the many Roman um, persecutions, they had to scatter and flee. And many of them went to this kind of undeveloped place where the Roman uh, presence wasn't so strong what we now call Turkey, Asia Minor. But even there, they continue to experience trials and stresses. Because I say, even there? Well, what if you were driven from your home? Would that be a stress? What if you were driven from the place that you were in and all your community and all the resources you had and you had to leave them? So Peter is writing to a group of stressed Christians, and he's writing to them for the specific purpose, and he starts out his letter by saying, I am Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatea, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance." what an opening paragraph for a letter to a group of people who are stressed because in that beginning he says you are an incredible work you are an incredible product of whom of the trinity himself the trinity himself you have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of god the father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. You, you, right here, right now, if you are a believer, are the work of the Trinity himself. That is conspicuous to me. That is very unusual that we come from this, this God, the creator of the universe, and we are somehow some way set apart and we are being worked on we have been elected we have been chosen we are being sanctified or made holy we are obedient to Jesus we're even sprinkled with his blood that would be kind of conspicuous if I walked around sprinkled in blood would you agree it's Austin this is always a tough tough one right we keep Austin weird, so maybe that's not so Austin. That's not so weird. But for the readers of this letter, when they opened and they heard Peter's words, they were lifted up. They were lifted up because they were reminded of who they really were. Where is their identity? They were really conspicuous. They were conspicuous in Rome. They were easily observed and seen so that they could be driven out, right? Who here in the room knows that if tomorrow it was against the law to be a Christian, would somebody come to your house and arrest you? Do people know who you are? Do people know that you are a believer? Are you conspicuous? Peter also says that you are exiles, scattered. It's an interesting translation. Another translation will be Foreigners. Or aliens. Some of you have Bibles that say aliens or foreigners. That's also important because these believers, as far as we can tell, were probably from Rome, the place that they knew, and now they're in a foreign place. They're foreigners, but there's something more. What also makes you a foreigner in this world is that you are the product of God. You have been, through the foreknowledge of God, elected, chosen, and are being sanctified to obey Jesus Christ. You are a foreigner here. This world is not where you belong now. Yet, you here you are. So, pa- Peter, I think, is impressing upon those exiles, those foreigners, those aliens. Yes, you're literally a foreigner. You, were, you might even have been a citizen of Rome. And now you are no longer able to access those rights and privileges. But let's not forget, you're really a foreigner. You really are an alien. Do not get mixed into the culture with which you live because you do not belong to it. You belong to Christ. You belong to Jesus. And to top it all off, Peter, this apostle, this disciple, follower of Jesus, he offers those believers 2,000 years ago and us today grace and peace in abundance. That is very peculiar. Doesn't Peter know how stressed out I am right now? Doesn't Peter know the trials that I'm going to? How can he offer me grace and peace in abundance? Well, he can because we are the work of the Trinity. So are you conspicuous? Are you easily identifiable as different, noticeable, obvious, Do you walk around with that obvious identity? Are you close to God the Father who chose you, who foreknew you? Are you conspicuous because of the work of the Holy Spirit in you right now? Are you standing out? It's ironic. What does the Holy Spirit do? Makes us holy. That kind of blew me away. I'm a simple man. The Holy Spirit would tend to do what? Make us holy. That's what the Holy Spirit, by definition. Is that happening in your life? Are you, dear believer, being obedient to Christ? Are you obedient to Jesus? Is His perfect, righteous, unblemished, and powerful blood literally evident all over you in the thoughts of your heart, in the words of your mouth, in the actions of your hands and feet? Is the blood of Jesus all over us? Are we as conspicuous as that diamond we just saw? Do we stand out like that diamond? That's our question. Point number two, we as Christians should have hope. Hope is the key word, children, hope. We as Christians should have hope. What is hope? Some definitions. To wish for something with expectation of its fulfillment the desire and search for a future good. You know, I wondered, everyone who has owned the Hope Diamond, that's my assumption, I have never owned it, just FYI. Um, my tithe would be incredible, though. It? Uh, and everyone indeed, everyone who's possessed the Hope Diamond, something, or something like that, something of such conspicuous beauty and worth, I bet, I bet they always think that tomorrow's going to be a better day right? I bet if I wore that thing, well, I I wouldn't wear it. I bet if I gave that uh, that beautiful jewel to Diane, I bet you she would. I'm not, honey. I'm sorry. I have to do some illegal things. I bet she would have a hope about her future in that jewel, in that precious jewel. But where is our hope? Is it in a thing? Is it in a place? Or is it in a person? Let us read verse 3 and 4. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Praise. What praise? Praise. We are born again into a living hope, a hope that does not die, it doesn't fade, it doesn't get lost, it doesn't need insurance. A hope that is protected by God himself in the heavenly realms. And what is the proof of this hope? The proof of this hope, this living hope, is that it is now tied to one of the most conspicuous and hopeful events in human history, the resurrection. Of Jesus Christ. See. It's tied. You cannot break the bond. Our hope is tied. In steel. To the resurrection of Christ. There's only one foundation for a hope of this kind. It's a hope of a resurrection. Of an event. Where death was conquered. And a new life was born. Jesus resurrection. Results in our new birth. And now we have a hope, a hope that is unlosable. There have been many owners of the Hope Diamond. You know, there have actually been lots. I'm sure each owner of this precious jewel marked their lives by the day it touched their hands. They probably remember the day. I mean, I remember all sorts of weird days, right? But if you put a big 10 gram diamond in my hand, I'd be like, I remember that day. Wow! I bet you they also remember the day they lost it. It went away. And I don't know, humans are funny things, right? Green bills, those are kind of cool too. Paper that has green on it. You, 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 know, Some of you don't have any of this. There's this paper that we use in society, and you give it to somebody, and they give you something in return. It's kind of interesting. It's just paper. But this diamond on other hand, that has real value. Or does it? It's just a rock, maybe. But this jewel, the jewel of our living hope, can't give that away. You remember the day you got it, don't you, dear believer? I hope you do. I hope you reflect on that day, because that day is the beginning of a life that never ends. It's the beginning of a life that can never die. Alexander Pope wrote this fam- famous poem, and here's one of the stanzas. Hope springs eternal in the human breast. Man never is, but always to be blessed. The soul uneasy and confined from home rests and expatiates in a life to come. Do we have this eternal, blessed hope? Does it spring eternal every morning and every evening and every interaction and every traffic jam we're in in Mopac? Right? Does it spring eternal? Like, Lord, give me some hope right now. I hope I get out of this mess right now. No, that's not the kind of hope I'm talking about. Check your heart. Do you have a hope, a living hope? Do you have the same hope that any person who held that jewel in their hand probably had? They just thought tomorrow was, just couldn't be bad. Look at what I have. And they held it. But what we have is something far more precious. Point number three. We as Christians should be resolute. Resolute, children. It's our key word for the day. I feel like some sort of cartoon. Resolute. A key word for the day. What does resolute mean? Firm or determined, unwavering. Verse 5. You who have this inheritance in heaven, you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Listen, dear believer, we are resolute in what has happened here, what the Holy Spirit is teaching us through Peter. We are unwavering in our faith, that we shall endure until the end time. We must be a firm, we must be firm and determined in God's power. Because it is in God's power, not our own, that our fate lies. Amen. If it were in my power, I'd be in a heap of trouble. If I had that diamond in my hand right now, I'd probably be the kind of person to go, "Okay, wait till I get lost." Cuz I lose my keys, I lose it. Right? But this power, God's power, is something that we cannot lose. It's something that protects us until the end. I was reading a story, and they surveyed a bunch of people, and they asked them, if you keep money in the house, where do you keep it? Seventy percent of people in America keep money in two places. Want to guess? Under their bed and in the freezer right? That's the way they think. That's the way they think about money and being resolute about what's going to happen if something bad happens. I mean, that's a terrible survey because if I was a, 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 you know, a thief, I know where to go every house, right? It's easy. I'm going to the freezer, I'm going to the bed, and I'm leaving the house quickly. I don't need to stay around looking for that jewel because it's probably in the freezer or it's under the bed, Okay, if you have somewhere else, good. Move it from those two places, just letting you know. (laughs) Public service announcement. (laughs) Let's talk about power, God's power. The hope diamond is interesting. It is said that diamonds in general, including the hope diamond, are considered to be the hardest natural minerals on earth. You've heard that diamond very hard. But do we have the internal strength, firmness, an absolutely shatterproof faith that keeps our hope springing eternal every day. We need to be firm in maintaining our conspicuous identity, our hope in Jesus, obeying the commands of our Lord and Savior with the same type of strength that that diamond has indestructible. Indestructible. Because it is not in our power. It is in God's power. And when you are in his hands, nobody can snatch you away. Nobody. Okay. Point number four. It's going to be a tough one. We as Christians will be imprecated. Imprecated. If you've heard that word and used it before, you are excused because you have an A. This sermon, you got an A, you can leave. IMPRECATED, I-M-P-R-E-C-A-T-E-D, IMPRECATED. comes from the Latin word to pray toward, and sadly, it has a negative connotation. Definition, to swear, curse, or blaspheme, to invoke or bring down evil, to put a curse on, IMPRECATED. We as Christians will be IMPRECATED. Verse 6. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. There is something about being a Christian, dear brother or sister, that is going to be unpleasant. God is clear on this reality. There's a story around the Hope Diamond that it is cursed. There's a mythology around the diamond that anybody who wears it or owns it brings misfortune upon them. But for Peter's audience, there was no mythology. They were going through trials. They were going through pain and suffering. And it is noticeable that Peter must confront the persecuted church with a message of conspicuous hope and resoluteness. Peter must tell them there is joy, even though now for a little while there will be trials. And let me tell you, Peter is pointing to one of the most important realities of our faith. We have been risen with Christ in a new birth. But you know what? We will also share in his suffering. It is part and parcel of our life in Christ is that we will share the suffering of the Savior. It's a fact. If anybody tries to tell you different, they are lying. If they try to tell you that being a Christian means you will become rich, famous, comfortable, and secure in your material possessions, that is of the devil. You will have joy. You will have hope. That is a promise of God. But you will also suffer because of your faith. And I know for some of us, it's hard to understand in America in 2012. But go to another country. And it's not. There are millions of Christians this morning that are risking their lives to hear God's word preached. This is real to them, and it needs to be real to us. We have the opposite problem here. We are so blessed that we don't suffer. But there is a danger here. Because when you become a Christian, you are stamped with the resurrection of Christ. You are stamped with a new life. You are also destined to share his suffering. You will pray, Lord, please take away temptation by the devil. He may not. You will pray, Lord, please, I do not want to hunger and thirst. You may. You will say, Lord, please, let my family never abandon me. They might. You will pray, Lord, please, take these constant threats and abuse away from me. He may not. You will pray, Lord, please, never let me have a friend who turns their back against me. You might. You will pray, Lord, please, never let me have friends who never understand who I really am. You do. You will pray, Lord, please, never let me suffer in pain because of the love I have for someone else, but you will. Lord, you may pray, never let me carry my own instrument of torture, but you might lord you might pray never let me be beaten spat upon pierced and nailed to a cross but you may certainly will for everything that the lord came to suffer for us we will also experience it is a fact and in that fact peter wants us to have grace and peace in abundance and if that doesn't make sense to you then we need to talk You need to get into the Word. You need to pray because it is a reality of every believer that they must understand how that is even possible because it is in God's power that you are sitting here this morning. It is not in your own. But I want to tell you about one great difference between the suffering that we experience as Christians and the suffering of Jesus. There are some experiences we will not experience. And last week, in last week's sermon, Jonathan Edwards in the sinners of the hands of the angry God had four points about the reality of God's wrath. And let me tell you, dear brother, really, this is what shook me to the core. These are four things that you and I will not experience. Number one, we will not experience the infinity of his wrath. His wrath has no bounds. It is infinite. Number two, we will not experience the ferociousness of his wrath. God is fierce, and in his wrath, his fierceness is revealed. Number three, we will not experience the certainty of his wrath. Those who do not come to the Lord are certain to experience it. But you and I, once we put our faith in Christ, we will not experience that certainty. And number four, we will never experience the eternality, the eternal torment of God's wrath. You know why? Because Jesus suffered all of those on the cross. When Jesus was on the cross, he suffered the infinite wrath of God, the fiercest wrath of God, the certain wrath of God, and the eternal wrath of God on the cross for you and me, for all those who would believe, sparing us from those realities. So dear believer, every trial you have right now, every pressure, every stress, it pales in comparison to the Lord himself hanging on that cross. And not only was he separated from God, his Father, who he had perfect union with, he was in his spirit taking on God's wrath because he loves you. And dear believer, if you are still rebelling against God's love, if you are still rebelling against God's hope, you have a problem and if you do not know god if you are completely an enemy of god if you do not understand what i am talking about then let me say this if you do not come to the lord as your as jesus christ as your lord and savior if you do not repent of your sins you will experience these realities not only will you experience the sin of a fallen world which you already do and you're well familiar with that there is the experience of God's wrath Himself. For He cannot let our, our dirtiness, our unholiness, our sinful selves, He cannot let them into His presence. He is a holy God, He is a righteous God, and He is just and He will punish. If you do not understand that and you would like to know more, please come talk to me or any of the deacons or any believer so that we might tell you the reality of your future. Point number five, we as Christians should shine. Shine is the key word, children. We as Christians should shine. What does shine mean? To emit light, to reflect light, glint or glisten, to distinguish oneself in an activity or a field, to excel, to be immediately apparent. In verse seven we read, These have come, these trials have come, Peter says, so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Oh, dear believer, does your hope in Jesus shine through your trials? You must, through your trials, reveal the living hope that is within you. We are going through trials for a purpose. In James, it says, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. There's one reason. Endurance to continue in the living hope of God. But there's another reason. When the crushing weight of trials come is when light can be released when the crushing weight of grief and sorrow come, is when light can pierce through and go out into the world, the light of Christ himself. This hope diamond was created from the intense pressure and fire deep within the earth. But from the intense pressure and fire of trials, will you be formed, hardened, Refined into a beautiful, fully emitting jewel of God, reflecting the light of God, His infinite, fierce, certain, and eternal light. Do you see, dear believer, that the trial is a blessing because it creates in you closeness to the Lord Himself, and it also creates a brilliance, a jewel of unsurpassing brilliance that you shine into the world. And it happens in trials. It can happen in many other ways too, but never as intensely and never as deeply as when you were in a trial. When times are good, we praise God. Amen. When times are bad, we praise God. Amen. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. As many today marvel and praise at the beauty of the Hope Diamond. We must emit a light that does nothing but result in what? In praise, glory, and honor to God. I don't want any light I admit, emit, send out to result in praise to me. That light that goes out must be of a character that the only reference point, the only way anybody would ever say that is amazing is followed by that is amazing. Only God can do that. If I suffer through a trial and I come through and I'm praising God every step of the way with a sincere heart, even though I'm crying out to God, and it is good to cry out to God. Even though I say, God, I don't understand, it is good to ask God for wisdom. You say, even though, God, I don't think I can do it, it is good to remind ourselves that, no, you can't, but he can. And when he carries you through, somebody comes up to you and says, how did you do it? And they already know the answer. Only God can do that. Only a real, living, powerful God can do that. No human can do that. That is why we are here. I found something interesting about the Hope Diamond. It is blue to the naked eye because of trace amounts of boron, an element, within its crystal structure. But listen to this. It exhibits red phosphorescence after exposure to ultraviolet light, which means that when a certain light is is shown on that diamond, it glows red for a long time. Wow. It burns with a red fire from within. Is that what happens to us? When the trials come and the light of God himself comes and pierces us, do we reflect that fire? of his holy spirit. Do we reflect that how that happens it's up to you. It's in your circumstance. But when my body cries out to to give up hope, I praise God in song. When my body is breaking down from disease, I praise God in prayer. When my body or my relationships are crumbling around me, I go to God and say, "God, if it be your will, only you can heal and mend what man has broken." That is the kind of light that we want to make. We want to shine in the light of Jesus. We sing, shine, Jesus, shine. Give this land flower and honey. We're Baptists, aren't we? Let's be reminded about baptism. What do we say? What do we do when somebody comes in here? We say, Romans 6, 4, Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in the newness of life. Did Jesus shine after the resurrection? He was glorious. Are you? Because you, dear brother or sister, have been risen with him. And if you are still dark and damp and moldy, spotty no you should be pure and white and brilliant to your spouse brilliant so much so they don't even want to get angry at you because they can't see you you blind them with the light of Christ I can't even get angry at you I can't even see you your children you want to you want them to say I want to come to you because you have a light that I don't understand and then you say let me tell you the gospel son when we glory in god the father only light prevails only light comes out when we glory in ourselves that doesn't happen and you know it you feel it you feel when your pride and sin is taking over because you want to do what you want to go run and hide you want to hide from the convicting light of the holy spirit you know you are not shining Point number six, we as Christians should trust. Trust is the key word, children, trust. To have or place confidence in, to depend on, to expect with assurance, to assume, to place in the care of another, to believe. Verse eight and nine, though you have not seen him, you love him and even though you do not see him now you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith the salvation of your souls when you trust in jesus the result is love when you believe in jesus the result is joy when you have faith in jesus the result is salvation. People who go and see that diamond, they trust it's still there after they leave. And they may talk about it. And they may have be filled with some sort of pleasant feeling that they saw a, a beautiful thing. But who have you seen? Who have you been in the presence of You have seen the Almighty God Himself through His Son, Jesus. And when you see Jesus, you see His Father. And you have seen Him like the disciples saw Him on the mountain in His full radiance. He has allowed you to peer in. And that's not even what you're going to see Him at the end of the age. Then you're going to see the fully unleashed radiance of Christ. That worries me just a little, but, you know, that's okay. I read a story about Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls, water going over, very powerful. Niagara Falls is running at about 20% of what it could. So those falls that you see are actually 20% as powerful as they were, but when man showed up, they dammed Niagara Falls. You know why they dammed Niagara Falls? Because they didn't want those falls to go away, and they thought the erosion of all that water going over that hill, going over that cliff, would erode it, so they dammed it. And some people talk about, who have seen, this was early, late 1800s, early 1900s, I think. They talk about what it was like to really see Niagara Falls when it was at 100%. It was inexpressible. If you've been in Niagara Falls, you see that it is an amazing. But think, of, that's only just a little bit. I got upset when I read that. I'm like, let's go get the full deal. I want it. I want to see 80% more coming over. I mean, it must be Incredible you imagine the glory of God that's awaiting us? We trust that when we get the 100%, it's going to be out of this world. It's going to be conspicuous, to say the least. The Hope Diamond is now at the Smithsonian Museum. You know, most people trust it will be in good hands and be protected from theft, harm, and destruction. But do we have the same sort of trust? Do we have the same sort of trust in Jesus, our Savior and Lord? We, unlike Peter, did not walk with Jesus. Peter had it easy, didn't he? Well, you know, he had it easy and he had it hard. You know, Peter had it easy. He saw Jesus. Peter had it hard. He's written about. And for 2,000 years, we kind of made fun of Peter. I don't know which is worse. You know, I get to make fun of Peter and say, hey, you never got it. You never got it, Peter. You don't get it. Well, he got it. In the resurrection, he got it. And you and I get it. But you know what? We are even more special because we believe even though we have not seen. We love even though we have not touched. Right? We are so special. The Lord has given us such a special relationship. We believe in him even as we endure trials so that we may shine like him. We may shine with him. We experience the joy of his victory over death. Our souls are saved for eternity. In God's power, we have the ability now to commune with God, the creator. The Hope Diamond is an interesting gem, so interesting. Many people have studied it. Listen to what the Smithsonian curator, Dr. Jeffrey Post said in 2008. People typically think of the Hope Diamond as a historic gem. But the study of this diamond underscores its importance as a rare scientific specimen that can provide vital insights into our knowledge of diamonds and how they are formed in the Earth. The Hope Diamond is actually quite unique and special. It actually allows scientists to understand some of the important processes of how diamonds are formed in the Earth. Are you special? I'm going to keep asking these questions, right? Can somebody come up to you and scientifically say, Let me study you because there's something wrong with you, sir. When the world says you're down, you're up. There is something wrong with you. I must investigate. How were you formed? Who are you? How do you have this strength? And then the Lord blesses you because you get to say, Let me open the Word of God to you, let me tell you my testimony. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was dark and dirty an enemy of God, and now, praise God, I emit his light. Sometimes I put the dim, dimmers on. That's okay. It's okay. I know some of you. It's okay. Don't you hate me having here? Because I know you, but you also know me. You know that we all struggle. We want to shine as brightly as possible. But it is because we love and that we are loved that we're sitting here today. And I pray that today you would begin to meditate on how we can be conspicuous, how we can have an eternal living hope day in, day out, how we can be resolute and strong in our faith, how we understand the fact that we seem to be cursed and we have to go through trials. And that people do curse us. Maybe not here and now, but some of you may have experienced somebody saying, I don't like you because you're a Christian. In other places, they kill you because you're a Christian. That's a curse. It's a blessed curse. We as Christians should shine and we should trust in the Lord. And I pray that you will meditate on all of those. Let us pray. Lord, we love you. And those of us who have given our lives to you, Lord, we come this morning humbly and ask that you open more of yourself up to us. Lord, we offer ourselves, we kneel, we bow, we lay Prostrate, Lord, that we might be more of you. That we might stand out in the world as your believers. That we might show hope to the world when there is none. That we might trust in you, Lord. That we might teach those who ask, this is how we endure trials, because of your power. You are real, Lord. You are here amidst. Us this morning and I pray that all of us who believe in you who have given our lives to you who have repented of our sins and repent daily that your gospel would saturate us that your blood would wash over us daily hourly second by second that our spirits would be calm and that when we step out of these doors when we have the opportunity when we have the opportunity to behave and the world puts a spotlight on us, we reflect back a a spotlight like the sun, 10 million times brighter in the name of Christ. I pray, Lord, that you'd give us this clarity, this vision for the church to come and rise up in fire and in your word and in the gospel and spread like the church of old. Let us, Lord, be in every corner of the world preaching your gospel. And, Lord, I pray for those who do not know you, who have not repented, who have not given of themselves to you fully. I pray, Lord, that you would touch them, that you would draw them nearer to you, Lord, because it is in your power that this happens, and only in your power. I pray these things for what Christ did on the cross, for what he experienced, Your eternal wrath, Lord, how can we ever give thanks enough? And Lord, how can we stop praising the empty tomb? For it all makes sense now. It all is real. It all hangs together. It is all perfect. And to you be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen our Lord and our eternity with him truly is more valuable than anything we can possess here on this earth. Please stand as we